This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, back to school season is looking a little bit different thanks to AI. Dr. Crystal Shuxi, Assistant Professor, School of Communication Studies, Mount Royal University, tells us how schools are preparing to deal with AI and how students are using it, but still how to protect students from AI. Really great conversation. How long will it be until robots will be doing our chores? Handy Andy Barrar tells us about the latest of home robots. It's not like the Jetsons, that's for sure. And the 25th birthday of Google, by the way. Are you okay with long hair, mullets, and Home Depot? Two separate stories with those three topics. Very important. It's all today on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. All right, we've heard an awful lot about AI. In fact, if I get, I don't know, maybe less than 100 AI ads in my Instagram feed uh, today, that would be a weird win for me. In fact, the the funny part is, is that people create AI ads about AI ads. And, and now it's just like compounding AI. I used AI to create this thing that I'm going to sell to you in five minutes, and I'm going to teach you how to sell it. Like, holy cow, like we just sound lazy at this point is really what it boils down to. AI is everywhere. It's been everywhere for a very long time. It's now just got a public platform for other people to start using it. And it can be used for good. It can be used for bad. It can also be used for back to school. And this is where we wanted to get into. Remember um, copying your older brother's test from four years ago from, you know, science 20. Yeah, well, see, that's a little easier to catch now because there's AI to catch AI. But is it going to be enough? Right? Can the teachers keep up? Can the schools keep up? That's really just a drop in a bucket of things going on. And joining me in conversation now is Dr. Crystal Choksi, assistant professor inside the School of Communication Studies at Mount Royal University, MRU in Calgary. Crystal, thank you for being here. And um, welcome back to school, I guess. That's the thing. It, it is. Here we are, start another school year and lots of issues on the table, like you were just talking about a new one. So, yeah. Well, sort of newish this year, I guess. Like yeah. you said, it's been around for a little while, but sort of newish. When I went to school, it was where do we find the cheapest margarita? That's what you were looking for, right? I would like to be contending um, with that issue. That's a good issue. These were, those were good days. Um, today's world is, you know, can you deliver? Can you keep up? Can you use AI to help you out? Does it make you smarter? I mean, let's be honest. If you could go from being a mediocre student to come out of school as a top student, and maybe launch your career a little bit faster. You would take those tools. I would take those tools. The question is now is becomes integrity and getting into the workforce and applying those tools where you can't use AI to use do your paper because it's not a lot of papers do once you get into a career. Crystal, what are we looking at? I mean, I think I'd like to pick up on, you know, what you just said around being a top student. And, you know, if, you know, a lot of students can, uh, you know, take advantage of an AI tool or an AI writer to become the top student. Why not? Like, what's what's at stake? Mm. Why not just why not just go for it? And for me, I think the question on the table there is, uh, what does it mean to be a top student? Um, and and a lot of students are grappling today with full time jobs or part time jobs. That's so good, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're grappling with familial care responsibilities, and so it's so tempting just to sort of take that shortcut, and you know use the AI writer, use Chat GPT, and complete the assignment. But one of the one of the issues that you know Chat GPT and other AI writers have surfaced for us as educators is what does it mean to be a top student? What are we teaching students to value as students? What kind of learning are we teaching them to value? And I think, you know, one of the things that's become so clear in the wake of ChatGPT is a culture of acceleration around academia and learning, even, you know, elementary schools, this, this onus that we put on students to do more, to learn faster, to produce more. And that, I think, is one of the issues at hand here that we're wrestling with now is what does it mean to be a top student? Is it just about getting an A? What else could it mean? And maybe where are we missing yeah. the point? Well, maybe we're using the wrong language here. I mean, is it about students or is it about character? Um, because 
we have some problems in front of us, Crystal. So as a business owner, I want people with character. I want intelligent people with character to work inside my business. That's really the key. The measuring stick though is the GPA, really. That's what people measure by, by the way, you're an honors person and everything else. In today's technology of applying for jobs, we all know that who you know gets you in, still to this day. But if you wanna throw your name in the bucket, you've got to apply. And online, on your Indeed or Monster or wherever you go, there's usually a little checkbox. Do you have a degree? And if you don't have a degree, you go into a different pile than those who do. The best candidate for the job as a business owner is probably the person who's in the no degree pile because they have found a way to educate themselves, be of character, everything else, because the measuring stick on the degree pile has been a number. It hasn't been character. So we have a bit of a cart before the horse, chicken and the egg, apply whatever metaphor or cliche you would like to, to pop on it. Um, that is the measuring stick that could be off why we look at it from, we gotta have the chat GPT so I can get you know the A or whatever the measuring stick is on that essay or that report that you have to do. Well, yeah, and there's so many systems built around GPA. So um, uh, scholarships for example, right? And and for some students, scholarships are vital to whether or not Everything. they get to stay in the country, to whether or not they get yeah. to retain a, a work visa. Um, so it is very tempting to want to just get that A because like we were just talking about and you were pointing out, there's so many systems that reward that A. Uh, but, you know, one of the sort of conversations that's becoming more prominent, at least at Mount Royal, I'm sure at a lot of other post-secondary institutions is, how should we maybe rejig some of these systems like grading? Uh, because like you're saying, it, it doesn't necessarily reflect character. It doesn't necessarily reflect learning, right? M maybe all it's going to reflect in a few years is the fact that a student was really proficient at using chat GPT. And that's a problem, right? Yeah, well, what again, to your, to your question, what makes a good student? I mean, I guess I don't really have an answer for the language around it, but what makes... Um, it's kind of like what makes a good hockey player versus what makes a good goal scorer. Most of the people that make the NHL are good hockey players. They're not necessarily good goal scorers or they can do both, right? So if you can be a good student of topics or a good student of life or student of employment, well, that's a lot different than somebody who scores well, um, you know, on a number, on a test. Yeah, and for IQ tests aren't even based on that either, right? Like IQ tests are so subjective and interpretive on the answers anyway. So like, there's so much there. Yeah, it's such a, it's such a fascinating question, and I'm uh, a bit loath to answer because I know I'll have students then come back to me and say, "Well, you said this was the mark of a good student, so I should be getting an A now in this class." But really, in some ways, I wish we could assess students and um, you know their progress just just by the improvement they show in the year by how, how much they're showing up, how much grit they have, you know, how much they've changed from the beginning of a term to the end of a term. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't want to get into like wishy-washy. Well, you know, I've, I put in effort, therefore I deserve yeah. an A. It's not, it's well, not that. Nobody needs a participation ribbon yeah, either, right? Yeah, exactly. This is, this is not about participation ribbons, but I, I do think learning is much more, you know, than sort of gaming the system and getting an A at the end of it. Um, so there is a big conversation here and it's really big. Yeah, it is really big. I'll give you a great example. We always hear that restaurants are the hardest business. 90% of restaurants fail are the numbers that are thrown about. Don't know if that's factually accurate, but the people who succeed in restaurants typically have multiples of restaurants. How? They figure out the formula. Some students just figure out the formula. They're not necessarily good students. So when we're looking at AI, um, this could take the character of a good student and actually erode that by giving them a good grade. Is that too philosophical? That AI could take a good, sort of erode the character of a good student right now. I think- Yeah, it's, it's like a path to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I mean, I do think AI is a path, generative AI, like language-based AI, I do think is a path to the dark side. And that's a controversial opinion for an academic these days. Um, but I, I do think it is, I do think it's tempting to use it as a shortcut, to sort of not think through what we're actually achieving when we use AI, uh, and to miss the point of what it means to go to school. Uh, again, I work in a post-secondary institution, so I'm really thinking about what it means to go to school as a post-secondary student um, and, and what students are there for. Uh, and a lot of students are there for the A. Some of them are there to learn. A lot of them are there for the A. Some of us went for the margaritas. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, okay, so how do, what, what are we really looking at here? Because we have students, and I, I like to look at resumes. People will use uh, ChatGPT, the generative uh, AIs, for their cover letter, their resume. But then they step into their interview, and they cannot replicate that language. They cannot replicate that structure. They cannot sound like the same person who wrote that cover letter. You set yourself up for disappointment. When you're writing essays and pieces of essays, I mean, if you're responsible, you could ask, an AI program to write you something and then you can actually start to learn and shape from the AI new sentence structure, new growth, things that you didn't catch on in grade eight English that you that you need now in university. So there are benefits there. But then there's humanity and lazy and complacent. Well, I want so at Mount Royal anyway, we're encouraged to think about how we could use AI in the classroom. Um, so it's it's sort of an open policy right now. And there is an argument to be made for that it can be helpful in just the way that you've said. So for example, make an outline you know, for your assignment. Uh, look at some, you know, some ideas that it might gen be generating or you know, have it spew out an essay and deliberately look for where it's gone wrong because we know that ChatGPT and other AI writers spit out a lot of false information. So there's a case to be made about how we might be creative in using these tools in the classroom that leads to some skill development for students and important skill development too, right? Creativity, brainstorming, reflection, those kind of things as well. Um, but I think the danger becomes when we start to lean on it as a crutch for things like teaching writing, or again, when we are sort of bombarding students with a workload that is just too high for the realities that they're facing today. And they're looking to it as this shortcut, as this quick uh, path to the A. Yeah. Well, that's big, isn't it? Because we have more jobs now than ever before. We have a home a roommate to care for, a, a partner, a family member, we have employment to maintain. Of course, you have to do all those applications for those scholarships that you're trying to get and those grants. Um, not to mention, you know, possibly you're just a transit rider. That's a job because you can't afford a car, right? Like the, not to mention your social media account, your Snapchat account, your like all these different things that you have going on. And maybe you're a fan of, of rugby. So you volunteer for the rugby team. Like the, the, the list of jobs we have is longer and longer. The expectations we have are higher and higher. Is it worth the universities looking at four-year programs and saying, okay, the volume is right. The timeline is wrong, or maybe the volume is wrong altogether of workload? I think that's always a useful question to be asking. Are we designing programs sort of at the right pace with the right volume of work? And most importantly, are we emphasizing the right skills, right? So I think that's always a really important question to be asking. Um, I mean, I know I was really surprised when I began work at MRU to see how many students are working full time. Uh, holding down full-time jobs while holding down full-time schooling is really a tough spot for a lot of students to be in. Um, and so that becomes tricky, that sort of figuring out, are we delivering at the right pace for students with full-time full -time jobs? Um, that, that's, a, that's a trickier one. But I, I do think that it is really important, like you said, to be thinking about, are, is this the right pace, the right volume, the right skills? Uh, and and continually sort of rejigging things to those ends. It's always an important question. Remote study, online learning, and so much more masks that mentorship of a good professor. Um, when you're not in class all the time, or you have the possibility to take some classes from home because you're holding down that full-time job, lots of times the best moments for a professor or a teacher, the best moment for a student is the moment where they pull you aside and say, hey, you did really great today. That question you asked, that's that's the path. You don't get that so much when you're doing remote learning. And then of course, it masks some of those humanitarian problems that teachers and professors can lead with. AI, again, like you said, that sort of that band-aid for the flood of maybe covering up a, a deeper set of problems that I, I would see that that could be problematic with, by the way, you're probably a new adult you're living away from home for the first time, compound, compound problems. Mm -hmm. I And a lot of, I, well, I'm going to make a generalization here based on anecdotal data. So that's always a little bit dangerous, but a lot of uh, instructors in my experience sort of just replicate the same kind of assignments that we grew up with. So when we went to university, you know, we watched our professors dole out a certain number of assignments, a certain pacing, and, and then we come to teach and, and we sort of do the same thing. Um, yeah. But 
and it's understandable, right? It's what it's what we it's, learn. It's human. I think it's pretty human. It's, yeah. yeah, it's human. It's it's understandable. Um, but again, I I think that we need to be as we, you know, you and I were just talking about really thinking about today's landscape of students and realities that they're contending with, and and you know, and and move away from this really high frenetic pace of schooling, of you know, learning, of work. Um, you know, I find everything today just to be in constant acceleration. Uh, what, mm. you know, whether it's AI, whether it's writing, whether it's work. So where can we sort of intervene in that ongoing, increasing pace mm. of life? Can we do it with school? I hope so. Well, the drive through now has two lanes, not one to your pace of life. Oh, boy. Um, right. Okay. So how do, how do we deal with that? How do we help with the pace of life? How do we help with a student who's, uh, tempted to use AI as a shortcut versus maybe using AI to help them find a blind spot that they would never live, uh, not normally found. Cause that could be a benefit. So how do we, how do we take that and how do we slow it down? And the word is presence. How do we create presence to being a student in a situation where there is temptation everywhere of just, to me, it comes to the point of living and being alive, right? So many people are trying to keep their lips above water and keep on sucking for fresh air that they're just so desperate to live that they're not really alive. How do you do that as a student? That's an excellent question. And I mean, that's a great way of thinking about, I think, the student experience for a lot of students too. It's like they we they come to university with so much excitement about what the experience might be like. And then it's just this deluge of, you know, work and assignments and stress. And it's 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 too bad. Um, so how do we intervene and sort of disrupt that? pattern of acceleration. I wish I had a really coherent answer for you about that, but I think part of it comes down to each instructor, again, looking at, you know, our course outlines for the year, looking at what we're really asking and, and, and asking ourselves, what's, what's really necessary here? What is really necessary in terms of assignments, in terms of the skills, you know, that I'm trying to equip them with? Um, and, how am I creating an environment or not where students can come to me and say, this pace is overwhelming, or I need an extension, or this doesn't feel quite right. Part of it is, is creating that environment where students and educators can have that conversation, right, together and, yeah. and co even co-create course outlines so that mutually we sort of agree that this feels like a good pace. This feels like it could be manageable with all of our lives. Um, mm. So part of it is that, uh, you know, is not designing everything up front as a, as an instructor, but working with students to co-create agreements. Um, and mm -hmm. that, that's, that is tricky. It poses some logistical challenges, but, but that's one way. Um, another way I think is, you know, especially with relation to AI is to help students understand that even though it looks like a shortcut, it actually just keeps us on that constant pace of acceleration. Right. The more yeah. we the more we use these tools that that quicken the pace of life, the more life is quickened. And it's this vicious cycle that we can't sort of get out of um, same thing with using AI for emails. Right. Or use, sort of using generative AI in any way. It just keeps us on this constant pace of acceleration or this constant wavelength of acceleration. Um, yeah. So just sharing that. I message. can tell. I can say this. I can say that as a radio host, there are times when I'm trying to say things um, and I've gone and used chat GPT. I mean, I don't use it on the air by any means, but when I'm trying to go through something and I'll say, you know, explain this with these variables on a topic in three sentences. And then it'll go through that and I can look at that and go, okay, well, see, this is where it's efficient. This is where it's wrong or, or just like big words for no reason. Uh, but this is where it's good. And you might actually just find two or three words and go, oh, pff, didn't ever phrase it like that. That's what your friends do for you, right? Oh, I've never heard it that way, said that way before. That lands with me. That's what good teachers do. You know, so there are ways to, to use this. And, and um, this is, I, I have to tell you that, Crystal, uh, there's two things that really strike me here that I want to really acknowledge for you. And I've seen this with MRU people before. I have some friends who work there. Uh, you know, I have some broadcast friends who are in and around there and um, around fitness and so much more. And, and this, I've noticed this pattern at MRU that it's really cool to hear that. I mean, you have a PhD, you know what it's like to be a student. Oh man, it must be nice to not have to go through that today and have the experience that you had, I'm assuming. But it's really cool to hear that what I'm taking away is the priority of being a guardian of the notion of student and that relationship and the process in life 
especially for a PhD candidate, the process of growing up and being a student, like you said, what makes a good student? I think I see that now. I think I see that differently. You've given me that, that being a guardian of student is the responsibility of the, the organization or the teacher, the professor for the student. I mean, the data is the data. The learning is the learning. The program is the program. The curriculum does what the curriculum needs to do. The question is, can you unroll it in a way that protects guardian of the student? I see that differently from this conversation. Well, that's very cool. I'm glad that this conversation had that impact. And I, um, I do think that it is our responsibility to continually be asking ourselves th these questions. What does it mean to learn? What does it mean to have a good student experience? And I don't mean to be presumptuous there that I can answer for everybody else or that, you know, that I know what one student just as much as the other, you know, would say, but I, I do think we need to keep top of mind. Um, what is it, what does it mean to learn? And what does it mean to learn valuably? What does it mean to learn to, in today's landscape? And what does it mean to make connections that in the past we haven't had to make, like with climate crisis? for example. Yeah. Uh, and I could go on at length about AI and climate crisis. <laughs> well, and it both good and bad. Holy cow, right? Jeez. Um, this is cool. I like this. Thank you. I, I would look forward to talking again uh, uh, about any of these topics because there's so much to be had here. We barely touch on anything. Um, to hear that, you know, the temptation of AI, it can be a good tool. It can be a healthy tool. But at the same time, in some ways, such temptation of uh, really grounding the irony doesn't escape me, though, that how a conversation about AI fundamentally goes back to the humans and how we use it. It always um, does. Technology always gets always back does. to humans. The humans are user error. <laughs> humans are <laughs> always the basis of technologies. Yeah. Is your computer plugged in? Yeah. First step, always. Right? Uh, Crystal, thank you for this. Appreciate it. Look forward to chatting again. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is The Shift Podcast. The Millennial on the radio. It's Ryan O'Donnell. Now, I have to say, I haven't been able to ring any bells or ding anybody for so long. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. It is. I, uh, I have to tell you, it feels good. good. Well, it feels good. It's, it sounds good. It's good to be back. Unfortunately... Um, we're going to be talking about some pretty unfortunate stuff in Millennial mm. on the radio, but some cool stories to be had here out of sad news. And uh, when I was on vacation last week, part of my vacation was at a cabin uh, on the water. It was beautiful. It was the first time I had sat in the sun in ages. I, of course, I burnt myself and hurt my foot the first day I got there, but it, I didn't care. I had a drink in hand, a cigar in the other, and just sat by the water, went tubing, all of that stuff. I went full vacation mode. And something really weird happened while I was on vacation mode, right after, right before, I should say, this happened. Legendary Margaritaville singer Jimmy Buffett has passed away at the age of 76. I took off for a weekend last month, tried to recall the whole year. All of the faces, all of the places, hey, I wonder where they all disappeared. The news comes according to a statement from Buffett's social media channels confirmed the singer passed away peacefully on the night of September 1st, surrounded by family, friends, his dog, and music. Buffett was best known for creating Beach Bum Soft Rock, with an escapist Caribbean flavor with his hit song, Margaritaville. Far away, his biggest hit, spending 22 weeks on the Billboard Hot 100 charts. The song became a seaside standard for decades to come and inspired a generation of fans known as Parrotheads who celebrate easy living. Now, Beach Bum I, Soft Rock. Beach Bum Soft Rock, which is not wrong at all. No, it's uh, pretty good. I, did not know who Jimmy Buffett was up until maybe a year ago when I watched a South Park episode that made fun of Jimmy Buffett. I never heard his music growing up. I couldn't tell you. I thought that when somebody told me there's a song called Cheeseburger in Paradise, I thought they were joking. I didn't think, like, it just was never that exposure. And I, I don't know if that's because my parents never really listened to Jimmy Buffett or just it's just most millennials 
However, over the weekend, I was lying on the boat and, you know, cheeseburger in paradise comes on. And at first I said to my friends, I said, do you think anybody my age, our age or younger will ever listen to Jimmy Buffett? I mean, after he dies, after we are in our 60s and 70s, will younger people listen to Jimmy Buffett? And I thought in that moment, no, definitely not. And then I listened to it a little bit more and I got a little bit more drunk (laughs) and I started to go, wait a minute. You know what? This really silly, simple song is actually kind of putting me in a vibe right now. It's kind of putting me in a mood. And I was like, you know what? Okay. It's not something I'm ever going to like actively put on my Spotify library, but if I've got a, you know, playlist I need to for vacation mode, it might it might earn a spot. And then a day later he died. It was the weirdest thing. I sent it to the group chat. I was like, what the heck happened? It was so bizarre. And uh my friends were, yeah, like we were all like a little bit disappointed. And then I saw that all these videos on TikTok of so many people, boomers, gen uh gen X, like all these people who were devastated that Jimmy had gone. And what was interesting was it wasn't just Jimmy's music, because I don't think many people would say that Jimmy was like the most (laughs) like earth shatteringly talented musician in the world. It's just what Jimmy represented. Relax, have a drink, have a burger, take it easy. Like this man committed to that energy through and through. He created a business out of it. He created a identity. And that part, of his legacy is definitely not going anywhere. And that's probably the reason why I've now been convinced after this happening that I think there is a place for a cheeseburger in paradise for any generation, whether it's mine, Gen Z or whatever comes after that. Absolutely. Best hands down, best margarita maker available. And the reason (laughs) why it's, be- it's true. It's because it does the shave ice first. So it takes the ice in the top and it shaves nice. it all. Then it blends it. It's magic. It is. Yeah, it's magic. So obviously it's rest in peace to Jimmy Buffett. And uh, yeah, I hope he is enjoying a cheeseburger in paradise. Absolutely. Uh, and then... More sad celebrity deaths. Jeez, not a great weekend for that. Although it is a chance to celebrate one of the weirdest things that uh, that, that has happened to millennials. So um, unlike kind of the Jimmy Buffett effect where the singer's impact on the generation is a little bit more complex, uh, I know for a fact that millions of millennials felt this one cutting pretty deep. So Steve Harwell, who was the front man for uh, Smash Mouth and behind the big hit All-Star, passed away very early in life after liver failure at the age of just 56, which sucks. So Robert Hayes, uh, the band's manager, said Harwell passed peacefully, comfortably Monday morning, surrounded by friends and family. uh, And uh, yeah, that's it's a it was a surprise to be sure because he's so young, but um yeah it's it's really sad because like look i know that smash mouth is not exactly the pinnacle of music it's fun goofy rock if you've ever seen the movie the mystery men with ben stiller and hank azaria which is what all-star was actually originally for not shrek which will come back to shrek that movie is absurd it's about like b no d-list superheroes and All-Star fits that mold, right? But it's like, all that glitters is gold, only shooting stars, you know, like break the mold. Like, it's trying to motivate you to do something fun and goofy, and the song itself is fun and goofy. And that song wasn't exactly, like, on the radio a lot. I don't really remember it from that, but I do remember it from Shrek. Now, Shrek is, everybody knows Shrek, big green ogre, Mike Myers, Scottish, donkey, right? It is a pinnacle of animation and kids' movies. It's one of those movies that if you were a parent in the early 2000s, your children watched this movie a million times. Like it's just, It's just what it is. Everybody my age has seen Shrek. We've watched it so many times, which means we've also heard All Star millions of times because of its being featured in the movie. 
I once almost got thrown out of class in English in high school because we were talking about Shrek the book, which there's a book, not just a movie. And my teacher, Miss Curry, said, can anybody tell me what's happening at the start of Shrek? And I said, he's taking a bath. And she almost threw me out of the class, which she thought I was joking, but I honestly forgot that there's a scene where Shrek is talking about a fairy tale before the all-star thing happens. I completely forgot about that because I remember the all-star scene so vividly. And if you need a little refresher, this is exactly what it sounded like in that first movie. She waited in the dragon's keep in the highest room of the tallest tower for her true love and true love's first kiss. <laughs> like that's ever going to happen. Oh, Lord. Somebody won't tell me the world is gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. It's, it's, it's a classic. Like that scene, I can visualize it so perfectly. And I saw this in a video, and it just, all the nostalgia kicks in, right? That song, because you said you don't really remember it from the radio, you mostly remember it from the movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, number four in Canada that year. Number yeah. two in singles in Canada. Uh, number four in Australia. Um, bum, bum, bum. Number four in U.S. Billboard 100. Number five in Alt. Number one U.S. Top 40 Adult. Number two in Alternative U.S. Mainstream Top 40. Number one in the States. For the entire year, number 17 of the year in Billboard. Number eight in the USA. Number four in Canada, number 31 in Australia for the entire yeah. year. So that's See, But I was three years old when it came yeah. out. I was only so it was three. massive. And it crossed over all kinds of formats. I remember it was a big thing because it hit pop. And then some of the rock channels were going, uh, that was like, that was in the time when you had Stained and Nickelback and all those like really sort of that new metal was really a thing and rock was a thing. Mm -hmm. And then you had this, this. And so stations this. had to decide if they were going to do it or not. And they very much did. But how does a song from 1999, when most millennials are very, very, very young, get to be a millennial anthem? Well, it's mm. Shrek. Because think of it this way. The actual, the biggest Billboard song of that year was Believe by Cher, 1999. That is a monster song. If you go on Spotify right now, Believe has just over 500 million streams. All Star is sitting at near a billion. Hmm. All Star has more streams than Paradise City by Guns N' Roses. Think about that for a second. Now, uh, that's not counting radio play for like 40 years, but just think about that. Yeah, that leaves and out a big chunk, but the share one is really great in comparison. Yes. Huge streaming numbers, and it's because of the millennials. We got older, and we watched the movie again. We saw how goofy it was and how goofy the song was. We, I love this line. I saw this in a TikTok today, and it stuck with me so much. It was one of the first songs we knew off by heart. Hmm. And it is. It really is. And as we got even older, we turned it into a meme, making the song, which is already funny and weird, even weirder, like this one, which is one of my all-time favorite cuts of this song. Well, the years start coming and they don't stop 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 coming. They don't stop coming that you can listen to the whole song and it's just and they don't stop coming. Uh, and fittingly, it inspired remixes like versions that I would say fit the unfortunate news of what we learned today. Harwell, All Star, all of them, they made something really special in 1999. And it's the kind of song that really takes me back to my childhood in a good way and has stuck with me as an adult. 
It's a song me and my friends still sing at the top of our lungs for the jokes, for the enjoyment. It's a special piece of music. And I hope that other generations can enjoy it too. Or maybe this is my generation's cheeseburger in paradise. And if that's the case, I'm a-okay with it. Well done. There it is. Ryan O'Donnell, Millennial on the Radio. Welcome back, buddy. This is The Shift Podcast. Yeah, here we are, back at it, and um, I have some questions for Handy Andy about the garden. Uh, do you ever do tomatoes in your garden? Because Andy's like a DIY guy, all things at home. Do you do tomatoes? Do I do tomatoes? Shane, I had like three or four varieties of tomatoes this year. Um, of course you did. There was uh, cherry tomatoes, there was black crim, Roma tomatoes. Then I got these other set of tomatoes from a, an Italian friend of mine. His nonna gave me the seeds. He mailed them from Toronto to me. Wow. Um, so I got those tomatoes. But I got to say, cherry tomatoes, Shane, that's where it's at. If you've never grown cherry tomatoes, they are the best. I, I come home from the gym some days and I, I got that pergola that I built, you know, that self-watering vertical pergola of, of vegetables and fruit. And the cherry tomatoes growing on there, I'll come over from the gym. Even before I go inside, I just sit there and I eat cherry tomatoes. I might eat like half a dozen even before I get inside. They are delicious. So, yeah, I'm all about tomatoes. I I learned a lesson about tomatoes. So I have tomatoes in planters with with the baskets so they, you know, grow up properly. And I had some extra space in the garden. So what I did was I was like, meh, I have a couple extra uh, seeds that took quite well. So I just threw them in the garden. And so they, I had no idea. They grow so horizontally, like they overtake yeah. everything. Yeah. And I mean, they're the best tomatoes that I have of all the tomatoes. The ones that I have in the, in the planters are small and, you know, they're, they taste good, but they're not as fruitful. The one that's in the garden is like, it's like attack of the tomato plants. And uh, I'm surprised my onions have survived, to be honest, because the tomato plants have absolutely taken over. And if the corn hadn't have grown so tall, there's no way. So I was thoroughly impressed. But uh, if you really want tomatoes, holy moly, just let it go. Set it free. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let, let Mother Nature do its thing. Uh, speaking of which, I learned something new about tomatoes I didn't know. Uh, recently, you know, we've had a lot of dry spells here uh, on the West Coast. And then it rained one day. And apparently when it rains, the tomato, they start to split down the middle. I don't know if they you've do, ever yeah. seen that. Mm-hmm. So... So what they recommend is even if your tomatoes are green or they haven't gone ripe yet, if it's if you have a lot of rain in the forecast, you're supposed to harvest them earlier because of that that really? split that's going to happen in them. I know I got a couple sitting here that were that are split because of it. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I wonder if yeah. they grow think, too fast. This is what I love about gardening is that you know, especially me being a tech guy, it was like this new hobby, and each year, each season, there is something new that I learn. And then I have all the winter to think about it and plan ahead for the next season. But uh, yeah, it was a really, really good gardening season. I've been eating like a king, Shane, in the mornings. I've been making omelets with stuff from my garden. Basil, cilantro, uh, bell peppers, green bell peppers that I was growing for the first time this year came out wonderfully. Tomatoes. Parsley, you know, and the only thing I don't have is mushrooms. You know, I've mm. never grown my own mushrooms, but um, that's the only thing I've been buying from the grocery store to make these, these all well, and the eggs. But who yeah. knows? Maybe uh, I'll, I'll get into free chickens. range chickens. Uh, I had them back in the day. Me. Yeah. When I was in my 20s living with my parents, we had a little chicken coop in the backyard. And um, there was a funny story. Uh, me and my brother noticed a squirrel was coming there and filling its mouth with all the chicken feed. And so we, you know, we, you see this every day. I, I feel the chicken feed, the squirrel comes and eats it all. So we got inspiration from the Looney Tunes. You remember the Looney Tunes where they mm-hmm. had the, the wild coyote was always trying to catch the, uh, what was it? The, the Roadrunner. The Roadrunner. That's right. So what we did is I took two of these milk crates, those plastic milk crates, and I put a hinge on it to create a little box, put a stick in the middle and put some uh, of that chicken feed in the middle. It had a big long string on it. And so we sat there oh on gosh. these little, you know, we just sat there in silence, waited for the squirrel to come in, pulled the string, the, the thing shut, 
and the squirrel was in there. But the squirrel managed to just pull it up and get out. So we had to modify it and put a 10-pound weight on top. And then we did it again the next day. <laughs> Caught the squirrel. But the squirrel was running so fast inside there. I was too scared to like open it up and let it go. So we were like, okay, we'll leave it overnight. And then we'll like for jail, like overnight jail for stealing all this chicken feed. And then uh, we'll let out the next day. The next morning I go. It's gone. It chewed the plastic of that milk crate and took off. That's and then crazy. I got I got rid of the chickens after that because this, it just um, couldn't win. This explains an awful lot about you, I have to say, um, cool. as we learn more about you through stories of when you were a child. This is good. Uh, HandyAndyMedia.com, by the way, if you want to learn more about uh, Andy. He mentioned right there he loves love tech and he's a tech guy. So let's get started there. So robots doing our chores. Yes. Is it getting closer? Well, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of companies that are doing this, including one in Vancouver called Sanctuary AI, and they're trying to build a humanoid robot. It's called Phoenix. They have a prototype right now. And when it's completed, it will understand what we want. It'll understand the way the world works and have the skills to carry out commands like doing chores. So right now, Shane, they're trying to teach it to just take clothing and put it into a bag. In, in the in the store right now. So they're, they're using it as a prototype to figure out how this robot could work. And they're finding that it is not easy. And this is just a single task, but just the art of opening up a bag. Think about how hard that is. Like you ever go to the produce store and you got, they got those little clear bags. You try to open it up and you can't, and then you got to lick your lip or your finger to like open it up. Well, mm-hmm. these are the problems that they're discovering with these, these, you know, this robot that they're making. And they say that, you know, maybe in 10 years, it can do a single task. But that whole idea about having a robot assistant in our homes that can, you know, uh, wash the dishes, do the laundry, fold clothes. Yeah, that maybe in our lifetime, but uh, it's not going to be anytime soon, because they have to just, you know, figure out the AI part of it. It's not like chat GPT. This is like, it has to move. It has to do Mm -hmm. all these functions. Kind of like that movie i don't know if you watched in the 80s short circuit do you remember oh, that yeah. movie johnny, johnny five? five is alive buddy yeah so that's the kind of robot. ever since i watched that as a kid one i fell in love with technology and two i've always wanted a personal robot like johnny five but it looks like um we'll be very very old if that ever does come to fruition uh anytime soon well, it does seem uh, like it was going to be something that, I mean, is not too far off, really. I mean, it's not like it's very smart now, but the Roombas and the lawnmowers and all the things that are single solitary task driven are becoming more and more normal in the houses. I think that's, you know, that's a thing. And when you look at fridges with TVs and they read what you put in your fridge and when they expire and what you need more. And I mean, they're not far away from, I mean, some of them are doing it now, but being able to tell your cycle on your milk or whatever and automatically ordering more on a on a cycle. It's a little bit dumb, it seems, right? It monitors how often you replace the milk and then starts to make that decision for you. But, I mean, these, these bits and pieces are, they are slowly coming together. Yeah, one company that people might be surprised that's really investing a lot into this is Dyson. They got a whole robotics uh, division now, and they got some of the most talented engineers and they're really trying to figure out how can we make household robots that can, you know, add value. But if you look at the prototypes, then they, they, they showed a little video of what they're doing. It's typical of what Samsung and all these other companies, rather than being like a robot that looks like a humanoid, like what Tesla is doing with their Optimus robot mm. um, or, or this one in Vancouver, the Phoenix, um, theirs is like a single arm where it might be a, a single arm on wheels and it's got a brush and it might like, you know, vacuum your, your couch and, and stuff like that. It's not going to be the kind of robot like Johnny five or, or something yeah. similar that's kind of rolling around and you're having conversations with it. And, and it right. just knows instinctively like what to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, there was a, I watched a great piece on airplanes and I, it's always made me think of that. And then I saw completely unrelated, a, a piece on robots when they talk about airplanes, the uglier the airplane, really, the better it flies. It's just that simple. If you really wanted to have really ugly airplanes like that are super efficient, that save fuel and, and get you there or fly the highest or the furthest or whatever, they're quite ugly. They're not sleek like we see, right? They're not all like fighter jets. 
it, same thing with robots is that we yeah. need to drop this notion that robots need to be like us because yeah. the ugly robots that are going to be the ones that work, right? The ones that are, they don't look like us. They're the ones that are efficient. Kind of like humans are not efficient, I suppose, which is probably a good point. Um, yeah, AI is a big part of that. It's also next on your list here of things that, uh, that, that's getting worked on. Google celebrating some anniversary and looking forward into more of it. Yeah, Google turned 25. Actually, I believe it's today is when Google first came on the scene in like 1998. So 25 years ago. And uh, a lot has changed, you know, since then, you know, Google has, it was funny back then, you know, when it came out, it was the kind of the search engine that everyone used. And newsrooms used to debate whether they should use it as a verb or if that was kind of giving them free advertisement. But it, you I know, have a guy that I worked with, his partner worked for Yahoo. Mm -hmm. And there was a big movement to try to call Yahoo a verb, like Google was a verb, in order to keep yeah. up. And like, oh, no, don't say Google it. You got to say Yahoo it. Obviously did not take off. Yeah, well, you know, another funny story is Microsoft. They would pay uh, for movies and TV shows when they have a scene and somebody's on the computer. Instead of like Googling it, they would have them say, just Bing it. You know, they would try yeah. to get licensing deals to try to make yeah. Bing a verb as well. It's kind of like Kleenex as well. You know, people use Kleenex. That was a brand, but we just, you know, assumed that that's what it was. Another one? Yes, Q-tips, another great example. But for Google, you know, you have to think, you know, when we look back, especially with the, like, the, the history of the internet, we're going to have to remember times of before Google and then after Google. Because once Google came on the scene, that really changed everything. I think someone like Ryan, you probably, Ryan, have grown up with Google as part of your life since the beginning, correct? Uh, no, not since the beginning, probably since I was, uh, maybe 10, 10 years yeah. old. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you really do remember core, a time before Google. Yeah. yeah. I do remember a time before Google. I remember like learning how to type and stuff in elementary school, but I don't remember Google being a part of that. You know, I remember using Google on like my parents, uh, computer, but that was when, that was when I was just before I was 10 years old. So yeah, I do remember beforehand. Yeah. Now, I think the best acquisition Google every, every, ever made was YouTube. I think that was probably the best deal. But they retired 288 projects from Google in that you know, last 25 years. So they've had hit and misses, and now it's all going to be about AI. Well, it's amazing what happens in the background. I learned that with Amazon, the AWS stuff over the course of the weekend, this weekend, Google Cloud and the processing that you can subscribe to from these these two platforms are very similar. Google and Amazon are very much competing for that multi-platform background piece. And I had a piece of audio that we did on the shift here that I wanted it transcribed, the interview, and found out how to do it on Amazon, uploaded the file, and it kicked it out. I mean, it was a couple of minutes, the entire interview, 20 minutes all dialogue. So wow. it's amazing the stuff that's happening in the background with AI and so much more. HandyAndyMedia.com. Now you mentioned about groceries and vegetable bags and all the things. There was Denise sent in, pull the handles of the produce bags to stretch the center opening. Makes it easier to open the bag. Good tip there. Also, I did watch a guy check out with a handful of those produce bags and put all of his items and carried them out in the produce bags. Uh, wow. Clearly um, uh, protesting against the lack of bags. Uh, in the store, which I thought was kind of creative. Okay, next on the list with Handy Andy Barrar, uh, I got a Spotify email that was so convincing that your account uh, is I got unpaid, that too. Right? I got the same one. Yeah, and it was very good. It was like from fxwuw.net yes. or something. Um, and then um, text messages, I'm probably getting seven or eight a day that are scams. And so many of the scams now, they're like, hey, how are you? Right? And then you reply back, I'm fine. How are you? And then now they know your phone number because they're, they're like a robot that's randomly sending text messages. Yeah. So there are so many scams out there. My business got hit with a job listing scam. Job scams are everywhere. If you think you're getting a lot of text messages and email scams, good luck with the jobs. Yeah, so a lot of people I know are looking for work, and unfortunately, they could become victims of scams as a result of that. There's a lot of scammers that are looking around where people's resumes are coming up to them. You know, if they can get your personal information, like your phone number, like you said, they will send you a text, and they offer these really good jobs. Sometimes they're like, hey, we have a freelance work. We just need you to boost these products or apps. Yeah, or looking for uh, an influencer. 
yeah, kind of an influencer like thing. And then they promise to pay you, you know, we're going to mm-hmm. send you, we're going to wire you or, or send you through cryptocurrency or what have you. Now, if it seems too good to be true, trust me, it is. I almost fell for one of these, Shane, about six years ago. I was looking for a job on LinkedIn and I saw this job and they were like, you know, I applied for it and they said, hey, we're really interested. And then like, okay, you got the job. And it wasn't very hard, you know, to go through that process. And what they said is, we're going to wire you $20,000 to your account. And then we need you to transfer this money to our other account later on. And I was very suspicious by this. And so I put a security check on that on that check that was going through at the bank Sure enough, that check was going to bounce and what it was going to put me on the hook for that 20K. And this was a job that I was trying to apply to. And this was part of their job duties. So those scams definitely exist. There's another one going out there where they said, we'll pay you three to five hundred dollars to wrap your vehicle with a, a company logo. And, you know, we're going to send you money each week for doing this. And sometimes with these um, scam shape, they ask you as part of your job, we need you to download this piece of software with all the tasks that you have to complete. That's the scam right there. Once you install that piece of software, they're going to probably control your computer, every keystroke, get all your passwords, pretty much take over your identity. And then you're going to be completely out of luck, all because you applied for this job that you may have got on a text message or actually saw on a legitimate platform like LinkedIn. So you definitely have to beware when you're looking out for work. Well, and it's so tempting because usually when you're looking for work, it's because you're probably feeling desperate. It's much like the um, the emotional scams of the the dating apps and all those things. Right. Those that's it. I mean. There's a, this happens a couple of ways. Randomly, I mean, the robots today can literally send out text after text after text and just go like, you know, 403-555-0001-0002-0003. And they send them out and then whoever replies and says, sorry, wrong number, take a wild guess what happens, right? Yeah. Um, now they know that it's an active phone number and then they sell that list. So these are these are common things that are going on if not just to sell the list, let alone to scam you and steal your money that you're talking about. But it's tempting. I mean, you're a, you're a well, techie guy, and, and yeah. I mean, you've almost fallen for it. I've almost fallen for it. Yeah. We've talked about it how many times here on the shift, and I still have to check sometimes. Yeah, no, like that Spotify one, that was good. I almost clicked it, Shane, because mm-hmm. I was like, what? Something about like your account got canceled. There was an issue with your account. Or something expired like or that. Something, yeah. Yeah, and then I looked at the email, and that's where I noticed that it was a scam. So, yeah, yeah you got to do those Beware things. what Check you click on. Coming up on Sunday here on The Shift, join us for Hank the Hacker. He's going to be back on our Sunday night show as we get into all of these things that protect ourselves. Thank you so much, Handy Andy Barrar. Appreciate you being here. Thanks, Shane. This is The Shift Podcast. Are you, are you are you okay 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 are you okay with 877-399-9898 let's get some text messages cooking here on the shift you can let us know your thoughts on these stories that might make you ponder are you okay with long hairs hmm. i am just not on the floor of the 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 gym change room. I feel that's weird. Oh yeah, loose hair anywhere is is gross. If it's on your head, it's it's a it's a okay. This mm-hmm. is my hair is the longest. Well, at the back is the longest it's ever been, mm. and it's, it's like a starting to there. curl now. It's starting to curl. Mm, my son back. got his hair cut into a mullet too. By the way, heck yes, join the club. It's no. a good club to be in. I and, don't think so. Uh, I don't know. It it looked. I gotta say, because uh, I'll talk more about this when it closer to when it releases. Me and some friends just shot a short horror film, and I'm in it. And that's the first time I've seen my mullet from all angles. Is watching back some of that footage, and I went, "Damn, I love it." So I'm fully committed to the mullet, and I've decided I'm gonna keep growing it until Laura finishes school, which is another year. So we'll see what it's what uh, kind of length we're looking at. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that could be all right. All right. So that's good commitment. The um, mm-hmm. the mullet for me is, uh, I mean, it's wonderful. I, I just, I, nope. Um, Fair enough. You know, I just, it looks, it's fine. I, I already lived through the mullet, I guess is kind of my point, right? Like yeah, I already lived through it one time. 
Yeah. And it was, yeah, and it was, you know, seeing my son go through it now with his, you know, dirty blonde mustache thing. Mm. I don't know. It's just a weird one. Now, uh, long hair, when I went to college, I did grow my hair out. And it was pretty long. It got down to my shoulders, like all of it. Really? I yeah, can't both really straight, picture you with hair. long hair. Yeah, it was not good. I did not no. get a date. Nope. Although I did have a girlfriend the first year. Like, I was dating a girl who was from my hometown, so it was sort of that long distance thing. That ended... And then I cut my hair and I got a date. So there was there never is. grow your hair out. That's the goal hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Monogamy, secret, grow your hair long. That's what it is. Um, so then I kept my hair short because life was more fun. Now, a woman in Tennessee has claimed a very prestigious world record. Some of the longest hair in the world, but not just any haircut. A mullet with the longest hair. A five-foot mullet. Kathy Manis says she's been growing her hair since February of 1990. That's more than 30 years. Over the years, friends, family have asked questions about my hair, and it's actually a conversation piece. A lot of people just notice it when I turn around. So most of the time, it's like they don't realize how long my hair is until they look at the backside. Tammy says she maintains the length of her hair, the health of her hair, by using specific hair products. She says it helps to keep it strong. Wow. It is a sight to behold. It's Mine's curly at the back. Hers is curly the whole way down. Hmm. And it's like when she's sitting, she kind of drapes it over her shoulders. And then when mm-hmm. she stands, it's like Rapunzel, but not everywhere just the back it's like she has a tail on her head it's insane and i really respect it i gotta say wow uh if you want to see it you can go to shiftheads.ca ryan will post that on the facebook group that was nbc Mm -hmm. 10 with a report by the way she said she grew a mullet when she was young inspired by a girl until tuesday's voices carry video and immediately regretted cutting it off in 1989 which is by the way a super fantastic song I mean, I think it seems only appropriate that we um, we salute that song, don't you? I think so. It's an underrated song. Heard it randomly come up one day, and it's now one of my most listened to every year. I love this. Yeah. I love this track. It's a very emotional emo. Oh, yeah. Right out Ryan O'Donnell appropriate. Oh, yeah. This is a Ryan O'Donnell song here. Yeah. Um, Tammy Mattis. Let's just also give credit to the name. It's pretty awesome. I uh, took second place in the femullet category, which is the female feminine mullet, at the 2022 U.S. Mullet Championships, earning her a $300 prize. Although the mullet, known for its business in the front and party in the back versatility, has been sported throughout the years, even often associated with the 80s and 90s, was popularized by Billy Ray Cyrus, Patrick Swayze, a variety of heavy metal bands, and Ryan O'Donnell. There it is. I'm happy to be a trendsetter. Hey. Yeah, hey. That's pretty much it. It doesn't get anybody after that. Any better after that? That's the song. I have this on vinyl. <laughs> I have the single for this song on vinyl. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. This doesn't surprise me. Okay. Um. I, yeah, Ryan's um gonna post that. I think Ryan should post a picture of his wallet for you all to see too. That'd be alright. I can get an. I should. Uh, I can get. I'll, I'll get an update picture. It's been a while. Yep. Oh, somebody texted me a picture of a mullet. Please tell me it's actually a mullet. Oh, it is. Yeah, very good. Well done. Sometimes people say, hey, look at my picture. Well done, Chris. That's a good mullet. Um, Chris, feel free to post that um, lovely shirtless photo <laughs> at, um, <laughs> at shiftheads.ca on the Facebook group. It's like having Handy Andy here. My goodness. Um, uh, handy does not, Handy, Andy does not... <laughs> have a mullet by the way but he's just often shirtless is kind of my point well done uh there's going to be some mullet memes posted here on the facebook group i can feel it are you okay with uh home depot the home depot i was just there today actually uh you know i there's nothing particularly wrong with home depot but i always hated it as a kid like it was always the most like just boring store to go to. You'd go, me and my brother go hang out in the lighting section because there was like that's kind of cool. And then as an adult, I haven't quite 
hit either the age or to the point where I can, maybe it's because I don't own my home, so I can't really do home renos, but I don't really have any purpose of being in Home Depot. So I'm not quite there yet. I feel like there's going to be this switch when I buy my first home though, where Home Depot will become like a second home. Mm -hmm. Well, it's where you get up early and you're so excited to go and you put on your cargo shorts and your New Balance sneakers and Mm -hmm. off you go. Knowing exactly what you need. I went to Home Depot today and I did buy four bolts and four nuts. Pretty big day. Pretty big day. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few things that you are guaranteed to find at Home Depot. Uh, hardware supplies. Usually a couple that's fighting about something. Mm-hmm. And some really, really bored children like Ryan walking around. If you go to one Home Depot in New Jersey, though, you're going to find a celebrity. A cat with millions and millions of followers. Jeffrey Simpkins makes videos of Leo, who can be seen prancing around the aisles or taking a nap at the store on the 1200 block of Nixon Drive. He has two name tags. It says, hello, my name is Leo. And then the other one says, like, Mount Laurel, the store. Store employees tell us Leo arrived last summer. Before that, he was a barn cat. Jeffrey frequently shops here with his two cats, Will and Grace. He's been documenting their trips on TikTok ever since they stumbled upon Leo. He's grown quite a fan base of viewers. Like, all together, all the Leo videos, probably over 50 million. Cats. That's from ABC6, by the way. Million. Mm Mm-hmm. Leo's devoted fans admire his unique personality, like he's friendly. He wears clothing unlike other cats and has several places he sleeps at. <laughs> Good quote. That's it. Well done. It's a cat that lives at Home Depot. That's uh, it. There's a few birds live at Home Depot. Maybe that's why he's there. Oh, yeah. Always. Side, right? No. The employees take care of Leo and make sure he gets regular vet checkups and has a place to sleep when the store is closed on holidays. You see... The thing that gets me the most is, and people say that I'm hard on cats because I like dogs, but this is such a cat thing to do, to basically just move in and be like, this is mine now. And that's it. Yeah. It's the, the videos are cute. I was curious. So I went on this guy's account and it's like, you know, most of the videos get like 25,000 views. And then there's one of the cat sleeping in the box where you get various screws or it's empty and Leo's just sleeping in this empty box and it had 4.5 million views. Hmm. Just a cat sleeping in a box at Home Depot. That's it. Yeah. See, I don't, I don't under, I don't know what that says more about. Yeah. I mean, either. Right. Cause right. Like the I cat, get why the people, but also geez, that's what people are doing with their day. Yeah. You know, we complain about the we complain about the state of the world. We wonder why things are rather in disarray when 4.5 million people are spending their day doing that. I mean, hey, I get it. Cats are cute. There was someone posted a cat picture. It was a cute cat. But I mean, it's a very cat thing to basically move into your work and say, "Now by the way, you take care of me, human. Get to it." <laughs> so, make me famous. Give me a box to sleep in. Anyway, uh, are you okay with thrifting? Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, big time. I mean, it's actually, I've, I, I used to do it all the time. I will say since COVID, when so many people picked up a second hobby where they could make money and thrifting was a really easy one where you go and find some nice stuff at Valley Village and then resell it. It's gotten worse. Like the prices at Value Village, a pair of of, of shoes are fifty dollars. Like a jacket that's, you know, five years ago would have been ten bucks is now fifty. Like the prices on it are stupid. And then the resellers are making so much money off that that thrifting has kind of gotten a bit toxic. So I haven't done it in a while, but I did quite enjoy it for when it wasn't so commercialized. Well, people can make a deal, and speaking of commercialized, let's just take a second to declare, Value Village is private enterprise. It's not yep. a charity, right? Yeah, it's not. It's yeah. not a charity. So if you're going to uh, your Salvation Army or whatever, those those charity organizations that, um, like Women in Need Society is another one here in Calgary. Like, there's all kinds of places that are charities. If you donate your clothes to Value Village, you're giving it to private enterprise. Now, they do employ a lot of a myriad of different kinds of people and give all kinds of great opportunities for jobs. There's no doubt about that. 
they're they employ a lot. They're big. Just to be clear, so I don't. To me, I don't even call Value Village thrifting. I mean, that's just bargain store shopping in in my hmm. mind. I feel like thrifting yeah. is like going to the the charity places, trying to find a deal, going to the garage sales, searching online. That to me is really thrifting. Thrifting. I suppose it's probably all the same. Every thrifter is after that one holy grail, that one in a million fine. Good luck finding pants that fit. But if you do, that blazer maybe, that purple velour blazer you've been seeking all your life from so many years ago, designer clothes for a dollar, or in this particular case, that little magical painting, the piece of art that matches perfectly with your curtains. Browsing a New Hampshire thrift shop for old frames to restore, uh, which, by the way, is a great thing to do. Pick old picture frames. That's cool. You want to make things look unique? Now, in this particular case, this thrifter found a painting, which is cool. The thrifter has chosen to remain anonymous, by the way, bought a white frame with an old painting in it for four bucks. She had no idea that the painting was actually a rare work by renowned American artist N.C. Wyeth. The woman was looking for old picture frames at a savers store in Manchester when she came across the painting and just put it in her cart. Well, it turns out the painting stayed in her bedroom for a few years before she posted a photo of it on Facebook. Someone recognized it as an illustration from the 1930s by prominent Needham artist N.C. Wyeth. The Bonhams Auction House is expected to sell it for between $150,000 to $250,000 next month. Wow. Now that's a deal. CBS Boston. Yep. Right the auction house Bonham Skinner estimates the painting will sell for the 150 to 250 when it goes up for sale in a couple of weeks here. According to NPR, the painting is one of four illustrations Wyeth did for a 1939 edition of Helen Hunt Jackson's Ramona, a novel about a Scottish Native American orphan living in Southern California after the Mexican-American War. Would you sell it, though? I guess if you want to cash out of it, but wouldn't you want to hang on? Well, so I was reading a little bit more about the people who found it and they're a couple and they do not have a lot of money. They aren't big time art collectors. These are people that have like moderate income. So $250,000 is a life changing amount of money. And so that that money and just the story, I would I would absolutely sell it. But if I was an art collector, um, you know, I'd probably keep it. She did say that she really hopes that whoever does end up winning the auction makes it available for public display. But you can't really make that a condition of the of the auction, especially with just how, the type of people that are going to bid on it. Yeah, you never know where it's going to go. It could go into somebody's yep. basement and stay there for 50 years. Probably know. Yep. Not Very cool stuff. Switzerland. Right. Mm-hmm. But that cash, I guess that can change your life. That's a good bargain. I like that. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 